0: We're in the middle of a series of lessons entitled, The Time is Now, A Call to Worship. And our goal during these five Sundays in January is to heighten our awareness of worship, to deepen our appreciation for worship, and to, I hope, broaden our ability to worship. Two Sundays ago, we studied the meaning of worship, what the Bible says that worship is and is not. And after exploding some false definitions, we were left to ponder these four specific definitions. First, that worship is giving, not getting. We worship not to get something from God, but rather to give something to God. Second, that worship is both heart and art, spirit and truth, Jesus says, subjective experience and objective obedience. Third, the worship is life, not just lips. Worship is a whole life expression. Everything we do, say, and think 24-7 is in fact an act of worship to God. And then fourth, that worship is optimal, not optional. That's why we were born and then born again, and that is to worship God. Now last Sunday, we built off of that final point, that worship is optimal by studying the mandate to worship. And the bottom line is simply this, that worship is, in fact, the number one priority for our lives. There's nothing, absolutely nothing at all of greater importance to God than for us to choose to worship Him. And this mandate to worship God first and foremost is supported by at least these two different truths. First, Scripture is dominated by worship. From the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation, we see example after example, instruction after instruction about worshiping God. And then secondly, the humankind is designed to worship. Again, we were born and then born again to worship God. God. That brings us to our third lesson today. That's the malfunction of worship. There in your notes, follow along. In his book, Worship the Christian's Highest Occupation, A.P. Gibbs writes, seeing that worship is the Christian's highest occupation, we may be quite certain that the devil, the infernal enemy, the world, the external enemy, and the flesh, the internal enemy, will combine to hinder the believer as he or she seeks to worship God. I think that's so very true. And so with a focus today on our public congregational worship, I just want to say that there are many obstacles, there are a variety of things that cause our worship on Sundays to malfunction. Now, the Apostle Paul introduces some of these issues to us right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I want you to follow along in your Bible as I read. We're going to pick it up with verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Paul writes, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. One part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The malfunction of worship. I think it's a very serious thing when the church, the body of Christ, comes together to worship, and then it doesn't happen. As I said, there are many obstacles, a variety of things that cause our worship together as a church on Sundays to malfunction. I can readily identify at least six of them that I think we need to make every effort to avoid here at Springville Church of the Nazarene. Malfunction number one is disconnection. Disconnection. I mean, whatever else we may learn from today's text, we certainly learn this. Congregational worship doesn't work when there is disconnection in the body. And what, what is it that causes disconnection in the church, particularly in the area of public worship? Well, Paul mentions four disconnected attitudes right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For instance, when someone believes that his or her part is optional. <laughs> when somebody begins to reason to himself or herself, I don't really matter. You know, I don't, it doesn't matter whether I'm there on Sunday or not. I mean, they can get along fine without me. <laughs> you know, if I'm there, yeah, okay. But if I'm not, oh, well, that doesn't really make a much difference whatsoever. I mean, how wrong could we be after we've read those verses we just read? Where it says that Paul Paul says that God has arranged all the parts of the body just as He wanted them to be, and that every part is important. Every part has his or her function. We all must function together in order for the body to be healthy. Now, you understand that in relationship to your human body, don't you? I'm still suffering some results from the stroke that I had a couple years ago. It was interesting because last Saturday, a week ago, we were getting ready for Florence's memorial service. I hadn't put a tie on for a couple of years. (laughs) And jokingly, I said as I'm getting dressed to Karen, I said, i probably forgotten how to tie a tie. I hadn't forgotten, but I couldn't do it. Isn't that interesting? My brain knew exactly what to do, but my hand would not respond to it. I still have some residual effect of that. So I had to stand there and explain to my wife <laughs> how to tie my tie for me. Now that's just an example. See, my whole body kind of suffered. I I kind of went, oh man, it was a real downer for me. Thinking about, I can't even tie a tie anymore. But you know what it's like when you stub your toe. Your whole body hurts, doesn't it? When Jim's having trouble this morning with his shoulders, we prayed for him in in our Sunday school class today, and he's hurting. I mean, your whole body hurts when one part of your body hurts. It's not optional. We've got to realize that. And then when somebody thinks that they're Part is menial. <laughs> Unimportant. It's kind of an inferiority complex. I've had people actually say to me, I'm not important. doesn't matter if I'm there or not. <laughs> what we really need are just those visible up front people. Yeah, I'm one of those behind the scenes, invisible people. I'm not really that important. Oh yeah, you are. What did, what did, what did Paul say here about that? Very clear to us, isn't he, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that God has in fact given special honor to those who may not be as upfront or visible. <laughs> and, and God has arranged every part of the body so that it is not menial, no matter how small you may think your role in worship may be. When somebody believes that his or her part is exceptional, that's kind of the opposite. Boy, I'm important. I don't know how the church could get along without me. <laughs> they just couldn't do it without me. No, you know what? That's not true. You can't get a superiority complex. You can't, you can't think that you're so important that you're more important than other people. The fact is that we're all equal parts of the body and God has placed us in the body of Christ just as He desires us to be. And then finally, when somebody believes that his or her part is personal... Like it doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. I can worship God on my own. You know, I can just get up there on the mountain and I can just be out there in nature and I can just worship God. It doesn't matter. I don't have to be around other people to worship God. You don't. It's not quite what I read in 1 Corinthians 12, is it? That we're all needed. Every one of us is needed. It's not a personal thing. This has to do with everybody. <laughs> and we all contribute. We all are a part of the worship time. And so our times here on Sundays, will malfunction when the church is disconnected, when there are those who believe that their part is optional, menial, exceptional, or personal. In fact, Paul sums it up this way in First Corinthians chapter 14. Let's read these two verses out loud together. So here's what I want you to do. When you gather for worship, each of you be prepared with something that will be useful for all. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. When we worship the right way, God doesn't stir us up into confusion. He brings us into harmony. See, that's how it's meant to happen. It's all about the body of Christ. All of us contributing. Everyone doing his or her part as God has designed him or her to be. So malfunction number one is disconnection. Malfunction number two is ignorance. Plain old ignorance. (laughs) Perhaps we've never taken the time really to study what the Bible teaches us about worship. Perhaps we've never considered the overarching importance of worship. Or perhaps we've never really learned, nobody's ever taught us, how to worship God in a way that pleases Him. Well, believe me, we're not alone when it comes to our little understanding or our misunderstanding of Worship. Let me give you a couple of examples of ignorance from the Bible. The woman at the well. We've talked about her the last couple Sundays. John chapter four. Much of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman in John four revolved around the subject of worship, and in that context, Jesus told her in John four and verse twenty-two, "You Samaritans worship what you do not know." That's kind of interesting. In other words, Jesus was rebuking this woman, saying in essence, your ignorance is a hindrance to your ability to truly worship God. Then there's the philosophers at Athens. Acts chapter 17. Remember, Paul arrived on the scene in Athens and found the city to be full of idolatry. In fact, he made the right um, judgment, I guess, of the city because he recognized these are a really religious people. And in their sincerity, they desired to please every single god there was by erecting an altar of worship to each and every one. So just in case they missed a god, they actually had a shrine to the unknown god. I mean, after all, they didn't want to offend him or her and have them get angry with them. But rather than criticize them, Acts 17 and verse 23 tells us the Apostle Paul takes them right where they are in their misunderstanding and he says to them, what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. And then he tells them about the one and only true God who is worthy of our worship. But the point is, their ignorance was a definite hindrance to their ability to Now, we may not be as ignorant as the woman at the well or the philosophers at Athens, but our little understanding or misunderstanding of worship may certainly be a hindrance to our ability to worship. If we've never understood the importance of worship or we've never been taught how to truly worship God in a way that pleases Him, it's pretty unlikely, it's pretty likely that our times together of worship on Sundays will be maybe a disaster. They certainly will malfunction. And that's precisely why we're sharing this series of lessons, so that we can grow in our understanding of worship. In addition, I challenge you to study the topic of worship on your own. In fact, um, I included a little brochure in your bulletin today. I don't know if you saw that yet or not. It's what I'm calling a purpose pamphlet. In fact, um, remember we talked about the fivefold purpose of the church. The very first one is to worship. So this is a purpose pamphlet on worship that I put together this last week. Don't read it right now. (laughs) But at the very end of that pamphlet, I've given you some suggestions on how you might grow to understand worship in a greater way, such as looking up the word worship every time it appears in the Old and the New Testaments and reading those Scriptures. That will keep you busy for a while. Or reading some good books. I've listed 10 of the top 10 uh, worship books that are available today on the topic of worship. Get one of those and read them. They're they're eye-opening. Or listening to CDs, uh, worship CDs in your car or at home. Or or when you're away from uh, this area on vacation or whatever, Go visit a different kind of a church. (laughs) Expand your horizons a little bit and see the different kinds of worship that are out there. Those are just suggestions that I've given to you. Again, all those are in that brochure. So malfunction number two is ignorance. Let's grow together in our understanding of worship. Malfunction number three is traditionalism. Traditionalism. Now understand that traditions in and of themselves are not bad. In fact, the dictionary defines tradition as the knowledge, doctrines, customs, practices, etc. transmitted from generation to generation. Folks, where would we be without the rich traditions that have been handed down to us? Paul recognized the importance of such traditions. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15, he says, "...so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter." Nevertheless, the danger comes... When traditions are elevated to a place where they are equal to or greater than the Word of God, the Bible. When traditions become so sacred that they take away our liberty and freedom in Christ and impose on us man-made expectations or regulations, they can, in fact, hinder our worship. When our traditions become so sacred that our hearts are set on them rather than on God, our worship malfunctions. I mean, wasn't that the very thing that Jesus encountered with the Jews? In Matthew 5, six times Jesus battled traditionalism head on by saying something like, you have heard that it was said, and then He would share the tradition. But I say to you, and then He would share the truth. In Matthew 15, verses 6-9, through Jesus confronted the Jewish religious leaders. You nullify the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now I'm well aware that whenever I mention traditionalism, I'm dealing with an emotionally charged issue. Believe me, in 40 plus years of ministry, I've discovered that people are more apt to get upset over tampering with their traditions. (laughs) Things like... The order of service, or the style of the music, or the use of hymnals versus monitors or screens. The King James Version versus other modern versions. How we dress on Sundays, and so on and so forth. People get more upset over those things sometimes than they do over tampering with the Bible. And that's just the point. When our traditions become so sacred and binding that preserving them becomes the object of our time and energy, then our traditions have become a hindrance to our worship. So what's the solution? We need to recognize the liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ, the wide expanse of freedom in the area of public worship. We need to cultivate an open mind and a heart that's in tune to worshiping God in a way that's pleasing to Him, not in a way that satisfies our own personal likings. And we need to allow room for diversity and flexibility to change as our culture changes around us. And so malfunction number three is traditionalism. Malfunction number four is idolatry. It's no accident that the first of the two of the Ten Commandments, the first two of the Ten Commandments, are Exodus twenty and verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus twenty verses four and five, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. You see, God knew that we had an inclination, a bent, if you will, toward idolatry. Not only in the sense of worshiping a graven image or an idol itself, but also in the broader sense of worshiping or literally attributing worth to the things of this world rather than to God himself. Paul explains in Romans chapter 1 that we tend to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And in Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul tells us that any kind of covetousness, any pursuit that's motivated by greed is, in fact, idolatry. Simply put then, we all struggle with idolatry. The idols of self, sex, money, success, possessions, these and many more just like them, often become the object of our worship rather than God. And our worship of God is hindered because we cannot... In fact, I would just say it is impossible to worship the one true God and some other so-called God at the same time. We can't do it. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6 and verse 24. You cannot be the slave of two masters. You will like one more than the other or be more loyal to one than the other. You cannot worship God and money simultaneously. Not possible. And so we must make a choice. Will we worship the gods of this world or will we worship the God who created this world? See, the question is this. Hear me on this. Who or what occupies first place in your life? Think about that for a minute. Who or what occupies first place in your life? however you answer that that's your God think about it and by the way if you really want to know the real answer not the one that you want to say is the answer to that question then there's two things you ought to check your checkbook and your calendar how you spend your money and how you spend your time you show me your checkbook you show me your calendar I'll tell you what your God is bottom line let's get real if we come together in congregational worship, you see, and we all have different gods. <laughs> one person over here is focused on his or her career. Another person over here is focused on his or her possessions. This person's number one self-priority is self. And that person over here, their number one priority is pleasure. If we all have different gods that are distracting us from the one true God, and we come together to worship, it's not going to work. It's going to fall apart. It's going to malfunction. So malfunction number four is idolatry. Malfunction number five is discord. Discord. The Bible is quite clear that when our horizontal relationships with one another are not what they should be, it hinders our vertical relationship with God. Let's read what Jesus had to say about that. Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. Let's read this out loud together. Would you read it with me? If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Wow. Did you get that? Jesus says if you're entering worship and suddenly it comes to mind that there's a relationship that's amiss in your life, there's some unforgiveness that needs to be tendered, there's some reconciliation that needs to take place, you know there's something that's not right between you and a family member or a friend. Jesus says get up from the worship service and leave immediately. Go take care of that relationship matter first and then come back and worship. Got to listen to what he says. Peter writes to husbands, First Peter three verse seven. Remember that you and your wife are partners in receiving God's blessings, and if you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not get ready answers. <laughs> now, wives, don't be poking your husbands in the side, because this <laughs> applies just as much to you. As it does to them. In fact, I think it applies beyond, I mean, he uses the marriage relationship, rightfully so, as an illustration here, but it really applies to all kinds of relationships with family members and friends. Again, when we have something amiss in a horizontal relationship, it is going to affect the vertical relationship that we have with God. And this morning, some of us may be having a hard time worshiping God simply because there's some non-forgiven offenses or some non-reconciled relationships in our lives. And we need to take care of those matters because we will not be fully free to worship God until we've taken care of the horizontal so that it opens up the avenue of the vertical and our relationship with the Lord. So malfunction number four is discord. Malfunction number six number five was discord. Number six is impatience. (laughs) This is a big one. Maybe just for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking to me. But we live in an impatient world, don't we? Everything's available to us just like that. Push of a button. We have fast food even. We rush here and there as quickly as possible. In business, speed is essential. Computers keep getting faster and faster. Busy, busy, busy. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Fast, faster, fastest. I mean, we hardly know... How to slow down. How to stop. How to wait. That's why we did that earlier in the service, by the way. Sometimes we even hurry through worship. (laughs) often our impatience keeps us from experiencing true worship. I like the way Anne Ortland put it in her book. I put it there in your notes. The world says, "Don't just stand there, do something." But God says, "Don't just do something, stand there." <laughs> I like that. The psalmist knew how much we need to slow down, to stop, to wait. Psalm 37, verse 7, "Be still in the Lord and wait patiently before him." Psalm 46, verse 10, "Be still Literally, quit striving, quit fidgeting, and know that I am God. Psalm 62, verse 5. I wait quietly. That's the problem. Some of us wait, we just don't do it quietly. (laughs) I wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. 23 times in the book of Psalms, we're urged to wait on the Lord. Ten times we're told to be still or quit striving, to be quiet or to be silent before Him. I think it's pretty clear. Our impatience may certainly be a hindrance to our worship together. In the midst of our push button, clock oriented culture, we as God's people need to learn how to stop, how to be still, how to not be afraid of silence. How to capture moments of solitude. How to wait patiently. We need to learn to slow down and be quiet before the Lord. And by the way, I think that's true individually and congregationally. So malfunction number six is impatience. The time is now. A call to worship. This morning we've taken a closer look at the malfunction of worship, especially as it applies to public congregational worship. It's a very serious matter when the church, the body of Christ, comes together to worship and it just doesn't happen. There are so many obstacles that the devil, the infernal enemy, the world, the external enemy, the flesh, the internal enemy throw at us to hinder our public worship. There are a variety of things that can cause our worship on Sundays to malfunction. We've identified just six of them today. Disconnection, ignorance, traditionalism, idolatry, discord, and impatience. I wonder which one of these six do you struggle with the most? You'll notice at the very bottom, the end of your notes there, I put a little box with that question in it. And I want you to think about that right now. Which one of these six that we just identified do you struggle with the most? You might go, well, it's more than one, Mark. (laughs) But I really want you to just identify one. Which one? Write it down. And as you write it down there in that box, as you go through the exercise of actually writing that out, would you make that an act of confession to the Lord? And with a heart of repentance, would you say, God, I realize that this is the area where I really struggle. Forgive me. And help me to be the worshiper that You want me to be.